Oh, it's my honor to be here, and I need to apologize to this young lady. What is your name? Julie, I apologize, but I get to talking very rapidly, and by the time we're done, you're going to scream your fingers off. (laughs) I just wanted to see how she translated that. This morning... (laughs) You know, honestly, uh, it was a couple of months ago, um, Brian had to ask... Uh, I think Mark Stevens, if somebody from Boise Bible College could come over because he knew he was going to have a long week of camp and he wanted someone to come and fill the pulpit. And so David DeVolt and Mark Stevens were talking about it in their office and and I walked by and I heard them say, uh, Lebanon. And so I had to listen a little bit more and I heard them talking about, well, which one of us is going to get to do it? And I said, why not me? I just reached my head in, and they said, well, we know that you've got a a big schedule this summer. I said, yeah, but that Sunday, I have nothing to do. And they said, well, you do realize it's two services Sunday morning and one Sunday night. I said, yeah, I don't mind. I'm used to long drives. I can get home. They said, okay, you're it. And so, honestly, I came because I have heard a lot about this congregation. I've heard a lot about our graduates. Um, uh, Brian wasn't in my class, I'm sorry, (laughs) but maybe I'll get him over there sometime to preach. (laughs) After the Mohawk's gone. No, I'm kidding. Uh, Did you guys notice that? I mean, that's what camp does to you. Next year, he said, if it's another week like that, he won't have any hair left. (laughs) That'd be preferable. Okay. (laughs) This morning, I don't have a lot of time. So I want to get down to God's Word. You know, at Boise Bible College, I teach the book of Acts. And to me, Acts is the hinge that holds the New Testament together. You've got the life of Christ, and you've got the letters that are written about the church and to the church, but the history that pulls those together is called the book of Acts. And so I get to teach the book of Acts at Boise Bible College. And in the book of Acts... Excuse me, there is one verse that is the hinge of the book. And that is Acts, the first chapter, in the eighth verse. And so for those of you who are taking notes, I'm not going to be all over the book. I'm just going to be in the one verse, Acts 1.8. It's going to be a very simple outline. You'll realize that very quickly. But when I get done, I hope you've got it impressed in your mind and more than that, into your heart and into your hands and you will be about the mission of the church and of the individuals in the church and that's us. Acts. Jesus has died, Jesus was buried, Jesus arose, and Jesus has been teaching now for a period of time, takes his followers outside the city of Jerusalem, and there he gives his final command. And it's neat to think about, here is the focus, the culmination of three years of ministry. Jesus is wrapping up all of the parables. He's wrapping up all of the teachings, all of the miracles into one sentence. So follow with me. On the mount, Jesus talking to his followers, Acts 1.8. You will receive the Holy Spirit. And when you receive the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses beginning in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Boom, he was done and he was gone. And yet, those words still ring. When I teach the book of Acts, I talk about this. Number one, there's only one mission. There is only one message. There's a lot of methods. 
A lot of ways of communicating it. But there is only one mission and message for the church today and for you and for me. And so let's simplify it this morning. Are you ready to go? She doesn't know I'm looking at her. (laughs) Get ready. Here we go. Acts, the first chapter. He begins like this. He says, you will be. Now, I have a freshman class. And in a freshman class, I give points for participation. You know, some students do well on papers, not many. Uh, Some of them do fine on tests. Some of them, they just need help. And so I give extra credit if you participate. And so I start out, it's the day two of the book of Acts, and I say, okay, it says you will be. What part of speech is that? Now, remember, they're freshmen. And as freshmen, the light bulbs aren't really tight yet. You know, they're sort of flickering. But I always have a student who raises their hand and says, I know the answer. Now, you have to understand, they get points whether they're right or wrong. And I have sucker questions, and this is one. Invariably, someone says, it's the future tense. I mean, it sounds like the future tense. Jesus is saying, sometime in the future, you will get to be my witness. No. And, and I always tell them, no, you're wrong. But then I give them the right answer. It's the imperative. Yeah, just like you. It's, it's freshmen, you know. The, the light bulb's flickering. What in the world is the imperative? The imperative, my dad knew really well. He would look at me and he would say, Terry, you will take out the trash. That meant tomorrow. No, that meant you will do it right now. The imperative is a command. Jesus is using a word very expressively. You will be. You have no choice. You will do what I tell you to do. I don't like that. I mean, seriously. I am a red-blooded American. I want to do it my way. Ed Ames sang that song, you know, I'll do it my way. You could play that on the piano, couldn't you? Yeah. (laughs) She is a great pianist, let me tell you. Phenomenal. But I won't digress. Um, I would like to do it like John Wayne. You know, I'd like to get in the horse. I'd like to pull my gun. I would like to do it my way. No one is going to tell me what to do. Too bad. Get over it. If you're a Christian, you'll do what he said not what you say. It's not about you. It's about him. It's not about me. It's about him. Jesus says, if you are my follower, you have no choice but to do what I tell you to do. And then he tells him what to do. He says, you will be my witness. Now, what's witness? Again, uh, for freshmen, they're trying to get the extra points. And so... They always say it's someone who puts their hand on the Bible, swears to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help them God. And I go, congratulations, you watched Judge Judy. But you're wrong. And they go, what? That's not the word that's used here. In English it is. But just a couple of chapters later, there's a young man. The young man's name is Stephen, and he is standing in front of the Sanhedrin, the same group that put Jesus to death. He is talking about Jesus, and that Jesus is the Son of God, and that we must listen to Jesus. And we call Stephen the first Christian martyr. Why? Because he died Because of what he was saying. The word that's used in the first chapter, in the eighth verse is, Jesus says, you have no choice but to be my martyr. 
You have no choice but to die for me. Now, that doesn't sound right. I thought he died for me. What in the world is he saying? I've got to die for him. And literally what he's saying is, you will be my witness to the end of the spear or till your last breath. There is no retirement from Christianity. It doesn't matter how old you are, until you die, you will be his witness. Yesterday, I was on the south side of Portland at a funeral. Hal Stewart, I don't know if any of you know Hal, but Hal passed away, tractor ran over him. He was at Boise Bible College four weeks ago with his son, Rick, who is an elder at Woodburn Christian Church, and with his grandson, all three of them. And I still remember he was saying, why aren't more people working here at Boise Bible College helping to fix these buildings and build these buildings? He said, I'm getting tired. He's 86. But he could outwork his grandson. He would never rust out. He would burn out. And to his dying day, he was burning. At the funeral yesterday, the minister stood up and said, I would be remiss if I did not issue an invitation for any of you who do not yet know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior to come and to be baptized into the kingdom of God because this is what Hal wanted his whole life. He wasn't a minister. He was a farmer. But he was passionate about you will be my witness to the end. Now, Jesus goes farther. He says, you have no choice but to die for me, to be my witness to the end, and here's how you do it. You start in Jerusalem. Now, for us, we're not going to go to Jerusalem very often. I was there last year. But that's not what he was talking about. He was talking about, you will be my witness to the people who you know the best. Usually that's family. I see some of you frowning. You know them too well. Sometimes it would be easier to be a missionary to the pygmies in Africa than it is to a mom or a dad or a brother or a sister or an aunt or an uncle who doesn't believe that Jesus is a Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, get over it. You will be my witness to those who are closest to you. That's where we start the mission. Can you imagine James and John? James and John were called the sons of Zebedee. They were also called the sons of thunder. They were young men that I can imagine the people around them would go, really? You're a Christian? You're a follower of Jesus? You guys wanted to call down fire and brimstone from heaven and destroy cities. I can remember a number of years ago, I was preaching a revival in Lebanon, Indiana. And I remember I was being introduced, and you did such a nice job. Thank you. I appreciate that. I'll pay you later. But the lady who introduced me was the minister's wife. He had been my home church minister. She knew me from the time I was in junior high. And she related to the congregation, (laughs) bless her heart, the first time she ever met me. It was on a Sunday when they were coming to the church in O'Fallon, Missouri, where my dad was an elder. And her husband, Harry, was trying out to be the new minister of my home church. And she said, we drove into the parking lot early, 
And here was Terry on top of another guy banging his head into the concrete sidewalk. And I'm supposed to preach after that, you know. And, and I told her, I said, Gail, it was my turn to be on top. The next week I was on the bottom. We were guys. We were football players. We took turns beating each other up and being buddies. We still are. But she didn't know if she wanted her kids to be around me. And so she introduced me that way. Have you ever felt like that? People who are close to you know too much about you. They know the good, (laughs) hopefully. Uh, The bad, they definitely do. And the ugly. And yet Jesus says, you have no choice. You've got to witness to your family. You've got to witness to the people who are closest to you. That's where you begin to be on the mission of Christ. But then he goes a little farther and he says, you will be my witness to those in Judea. Now, Judea is a wider area. It's still the people that are like him and that he likes, but they're not close. Now, for you, that would be like the rest of Oregon. Even the dry siders, okay? I see some of you understand what I'm saying. Baker. Uh, You know, it's... Yeah, you call it Baker. It's not Baker City. It's just Baker. It's over on the other side. It's dry. They, they don't have any humidity. There's no mold on the roofs. My son-in-law is from a little place called Dayton, <laughs> Oregon. And, and I always tell him, why do you like the Willamette Valley with all of the stuff on the roofs? He said, I feel at home. Now he's in the middle of cornfields in Illinois while he's getting his master's degree at Lincoln and he's going, oh, to be back in Boise. That would be better than the cornfields. But he still likes home. Jesus says you have no choice but to be my witness to the people who are like you. You know their culture. You know their language. Get on about it. This morning... I was at a restaurant here in town, and there, and there was an a elderly man and wife, and, and then this young man, and they were sitting there talking something about the Bible, and, and I wasn't paying attention, but afterwards, I got up, and I was paying, and they were paying, and they said, so where are you from? And I told them, and, and the, the guy said, oh, you, you must know our minister. I said, I don't know. Where are you from? Astoria. I said, what church do you go to? Astoria Christian Church. Uh, Frank Lloyd is the minister there. I said, yeah, I I've, no, Frank. Uh, I said, what are you doing here? Well, we're visiting a grandson. And, and I felt like saying, well, why aren't you coming to Southside for church instead of going home and skipping? <clears throat> I should have. If I was about the mission of Christ, I would have done it. And I didn't do it. Uh, Jesus says, Wherever you are, whoever you talk to, share the good news of Jesus. Be my witness. Now he gets really down and dirty. He says, you will be my witness, not just to the people who you like, and not just to the people who are like you. You will be my witness to the people you don't like and who don't like you, the Samaritans. Now, you may not know a lot about the Samaritans, but the Samaritans were half-breed Jews. If you were a good Jew, from Jerusalem and from Judea, you were one who was favored by God. The Samaritans were not. Why, they were scum of the earth. In fact, if you were a good Jew, you were taught that as you walked down the street, if there was a Samaritan on the other side, you spit into the dust, not on them, but into the dust to show your utter disgust for these half-breed 
Jews. Now, the Samaritans had earned it in some form. They would not come to Jerusalem to worship. They had their own temple in Samaria. Uh, They took bones and they took them into the altar in Jerusalem just before a feast. And they laid them on the altar so that it defiled the temple and the Jews, the righteous people in Jerusalem, could not have their feast. They had to purify the temple. And so it was one of those things was back and forth. But they didn't like each other. Jesus said, get over it. Get over it. I died for the Samaritans just like I died for you. Now, why am I talking about that here this morning? There is no prejudice in Lebanon. Or in Boise. Or anywhere else, right? No. I went to Boise Bible College because I had lived 20 years in a little town south of the border called La Ciudad de Mexico. Uh, Mexico City at the time that I went there was small, about 12 million. By the time I left, it was starting to get large. Actually, it was the largest metropolitan area in the world, 34 million, growing 1.5 per year. I'd lived there for 20 years. I'd learned the culture. I learned the language. We were foreigners. And there were times that my kids were called guaritos. The guaritos are whiteies, little whiteies. Now, sometimes that just meant that they were white-skinned, and sometimes it, it meant something negative. And we learned what it was like to be a minority. But it's not all about skin color. And it's not all about language. It's about People who are not like us. Are we prejudiced against rich people? I mean, the people who live in the wealthiest, richest, biggest house in town, they must have gotten it illegally. I mean, it had to be because of drugs or, or they took somebody's property or there's all the... Some of you are talking about them. Stop! Maybe it's about the people who are poor, who, who live in tents who have shacks and they just stick newspaper in the cracks. And they're the ones outside of Walmart who who have the basket and, and they're saying anything helps. Maybe we're prejudiced against the people who have doctorates. Or we're prejudiced against the people who never graduated from sixth grade. Or we're prejudiced against this or that. Or You know what? There are people we just do not like. Get over it. And just because they don't like you, don't worry about it. I I was at a store here in town yesterday. I found out yesterday there are a lot of foreigners in your town. In the restaurant I was at last night, in the little store that I was at last night getting a a diet soda, uh, in the little motel over here, Valley Inn, um, there are foreigners there. And let me tell you, uh, one guy just stood out. I was buying a diet drink and, and some, some chips, but they were special chips that have low calorie count. And the guy looked at me and he said, so why are you concerned about your caloric intake? Uh, he's a very, very well spoken young man. And I said, because I'm diabetic and I've got to be real careful. And he asked me some more questions. He said, you're doing what's right. And, and he, he rang up the, the stuff. It was, you know, 4 or $5 for a couple of things. And uh, I had given him my credit card, and he just handed it back. And I said, uh, do you want me to sign there? He said, no, just, just take it. He said, I, I just appreciate you taking time to talk to me. That was 
cool. He just appreciated my taking the time to talk to him. Now, I'm assuming that's because some people don't talk to him because he is from a different culture, a different race. His language has a little inflection to it. Jesus says, you will be my witness to the people who don't like you and that you don't like. And then he finally gets to what we normally talk about as missions. He says, you will be my witness to the ends of the earth. And this is what we get excited about. But we have to understand, it's all built on beginning with family. And beginning with community. And beginning with those that we don't like and that don't like us. Finally, we get to being around the world. This morning, I've got a young lady, Jennifer Ruiz. Uh, She is in a place called Santiago, Chile. She is doing a summer internship in Santiago, and she is so excited about what she's doing. She puts stuff on Facebook, and she talks about the food that she's eating, the people that she's meeting. She is from a Hispanic background, and so she has some Spanish, although her Spanish is not the Castellano of Chile. She's loving it. I have four students who are in Outer Mongolia. Yes, there is a place called Outer Mongolia. I used to make jokes. Oh, you know, you're from Outer Mongolia. Yes. It's not Mongolia. It's Outer Mongolia. And they're in the Gobi Desert in the edge of it. And they are doing missions there all summer long. One of them just got done preaching this last week for the first time. He was so excited. He is going to be a missionary somewhere in the world. He may go back there. I don't know. I have a young man who's in India this summer, and he is so excited. He actually got to go to the bathroom on a moving train and saw the ground going under him. You talk about a cross-cultural experience. (laughs) I love it when they get back to campus. Because we get them all together, and they talk about where have you been in the world. And some of them have been to Wainema. Some to Koinonia, some to Grove, some to... I actually have, and this is serious, I have two young people, Jacob and Chandler, sent me a note the night before last. They were on their way to Pleasant Valley Camp. For those of you who know, it's up near Mount Rainier. They had just gotten done with another week, and they were going there, and I still don't know all the details, except that they're okay. They rolled their car. I saw the pictures. My goodness. He said he wasn't going fast. I I hope not. But he rolled the car. He had one bump on his head. She had nothing wrong with her. The ambulance got there and took care of both of them and checked them out. The car was taken and dumped somewhere. Uh, It's totaled. And um, we we have another car that's already gotten there for them to finish their week of camp. Uh, We have kids all over the United States and around the world who are fulfilling the mission of Jesus Christ. But they're doing it because they learn to start at home. And to go from home to the next place, to the next place, to the ends of the earth. Now that was the great commission of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is gone. And what are the followers of Jesus doing? If you'll look in the 11th verse, I know I said I wasn't going to go anywhere else, but I just have to share one other thing. In the 11th verse, they're standing there in awe, looking up into the heavens and seeing the clouds. I can imagine Thomas, he's going... I think Jesus is behind the one that looks like a rabbit. And 
No, Peter says he's behind the one that looks like an elephant. And Peter, uh, James and John are going, he's coming back real soon. Watch! And two men dressed in white walk up. And they go, what are you guys doing? Now, let me tell you, guys dressed in white in the Bible, they're called angels, messengers from God. These two angels come and they're going, Pete, what in the world are you guys doing? We're standing in awe of God. Really? What were you told to do? Well, we're to go into Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit's going to come and we're going to be his witnesses beginning there and going there. So why are you standing here? This morning I end with that. Why, why do we think that meeting around the Lord's table and coming to church once a week is all there is to it? That's not the mission. It's a time for us to focus and to remember the mission and then all week long be the mission of Jesus Christ. You have been called to be a missionary. You are a part of a congregation whose influence begins here, but it goes there. Thank you for letting me share with you. Thank you for doing so much work with your fingers. This week, be about the mission. You have no choice. Let's pray. Father, it is so good to be with you to be in your presence, to be with your sons and daughters. I thank you for time to be here with this congregation. I pray, Father, for the lives who will be saved this week because of your people. Thank you for Southside Church of Christ. Bless them. In Jesus' name, amen.